Over the last 18 months, CEOs have led their organizations through a period of vast change and uncertainty. Navigating supply chain disruptions, financial markets and day-to-day -day business activity, the private company agenda has shifted. In this episode of Privately Speaking, you'll hear host and KPMG audit partner Erica Whitmore and Jay Albanese, CEO of Centric Digital and member of Lightning Capital, Lauren Boyer, CEO of Underscore Marketing, and Tony Smith, CEO of Restaurant 365, talk about the challenges and opportunities they face as leaders of their businesses during the ongoing pandemic. I'm really excited to have Tony, Jay, and Lauren here with us. And this is a little bit of a different spin for our Privately Speaking podcast. Um, we're going to hear from these CEOs and, and really focus on what they've kind of learned, challenges, opportunities, however you want to look at it, uh, from the last 18 months, which I think is just really important for everybody to hear, right? I mean, I think everybody has their own experiences, their own challenges, um, but I think really hearing from the three of you will be uh, a significant benefit to our listeners. So thank, thank you all for being here today. Maybe with that, we'll just do really brief inter introduction, and, and maybe I'll start with with Jay, if you want to go ahead and get started. Sure. Thank you very much, Erica. My name is Jay Albanese. Um, I was a, a participant in the Quantum Shift program several years back. I think I may have been part of the first class of Quantum Shift at, at, hey. at the law school. Um, and my background in, in, in brief summary is that I have been a growth equity CEO in the technology data and analytics space uh, now for many years. And over my career, I've I've built, grown, and sold a few companies. The most recent uh, uh, business I scaled uh, fairly significantly is called Centric Digital, which reached uh, number 35 on the Inc. 500 list and uh, really spent a lot of years uh, at Centric serving S&P 500-sized companies, helping them measure, uh, model, and design their digital transformation using analytics. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, uh, and it's related a little bit to some of what we'll be talking about with uh, what the last 18 months have been like, in, in the last few years uh, since I, I, I've exited out of Centric, I've been very much squarely focused on the crypto space. And I've been in a role at the Lightning Capital Group, which is a crypto asset investment firm, uh, which has a number of different areas. It focuses hedge fund trading, yield uh, and Bitcoin mining, as well as venture funding. And uh, we're really in, in, in the business of giving our investors variety of exposures to crypto assets, not just the currencies. Uh, this is a space I believe has a tremendous future. And uh, I, I have insight to that because of my background in technology companies. So I uh, look forward to, to talking about that a bit more. Thank you, Jay. And Lauren, can you give us a brief introduction on you and your company? Sure, and thank you for having me. I'm Lauren Boyer. I was in Jay's class at Quantum Shift, and so we did. Uh, we were this inaugural class in the U.S., which was a fantastic experience, and I'm sure we'll share more shortly. But um, about me, I've always been curious and entrepreneurial, and I was an early adopter of digital and marketing in specific back in the late 90s. I've had many first-to-market experiences, including a, a unfortunately time.com stint in 99-2000, oh, um, which, you know, I learned a lot more <laughs> than I won on that one, but yeah. <laughs> certainly good perspective. 
Um, since 2007, I've been in Underscore Marketing, and um, Underscore is a women-owned small business. It's headquartered in New York City, and we focus on helping global health and wellness companies who are innovating launch new solutions to patients and to professionals through accountable, data-driven media programs, so really helping people with their go-to-market strategy for new innovations in health and wellness, which is somewhat appropriate as we're talking about like managing through covid um, I've been there since um, 2007, like I said, but I've been CEO since 2009. And when I'm not constantly traveling, which is something I love, I have uh, two kids I try to visit in college, but I also live upstate New York. So just a little bit about me. Awesome. Thank you, Lauren. Tony? Yeah, I feel like the baby of the bunch, I guess. If they were both <laughs> in the original quantum shift class, I was in the most recent class that was held. So I don't nice. know, maybe I'm just a late bloomer. But, it's a uh, nice contract, yeah. Tony. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Tony Smith, CEO and co-founder at Restaurant 365. We've been around about 10 years. Uh, we provide restaurant management software to help them run efficiently, and right now we're doing that for about 30,000 restaurants here in the United States. So wow. I know you guys were probably hoping that I owned a restaurant because those are a lot more fun to talk to or talk about probably than software. But, uh, you know, it's funny. We had our name on our building and every once in a while we'll get people that walk in and then they're looking around like, where's the table that I get seated at? Because it says <laughs> restaurant 365. Yeah. Up, and then they just see a bunch of software engineers and they're confused. So that's pretty good. But, uh, yeah, so our system is like an extra set of eyes there for the restaurant where it gives them visibility into lots of parts of their business and tries to help the restaurant managers be more effective in, say, predicting their sales and uh, what ingredients they should order in which quantities and getting the right mix of employees scheduled at the right time. So we're doing a lot of those things to help restaurants run. Uh, so basically just trying to make, uh, you know, make their lives a bit easier. Well, Tony, I, I cannot wait to hear because even though it is a software company because of the industry that you serve, right? I bet you have some uh, pretty unique challenges that you can share with the group. So um, excited to have you. Okay, the last 18 months, you know, it, it's been terrible in many ways, right? Um, and I, I think that's both from a personal and a professional perspective. And so I, I really think that it'll be really good to hear from each of you. And I'm, I'm going to start with Lauren. Um, just how you've navigated the last 18 months, you know, what, what has it meant to, you know, your business? Um, what have you changed? So really challenges and opportunities of the last 18 months um, that you think would benefit our listeners. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to focus a little bit on some of the media challenges instead of touting like all the brilliant things that I learned, because I think it's That's really great. been quite a time. And I, if the big takeaway, you know, if nothing else comes out of what I share is that being able to humanize business has really transformed my business. And what I mean by that is, so Underscore has been a global business for many, many years, over a decade, in fact. And um, we have people in the U.S. We also have a cohort of people in the EU. And in the U.S., about 18 months prior to the COVID lockdown, you know, back in uh, early 2020, we had already decided that we would be virtual because we were wanting we, – we actually had termed 2020 the year of engagement. I swear, like, this is – like, I don't make this stuff up. But yeah. um, what we said was we were going to spend more time because the U.S. are more consultative people and, you know, a little bit more experienced and, and deeper in certain 
um, you know, guiding principles with our clients. So the plan was we're going to spend all this time with our clients and we don't really need to be in the office because it's the year of engagement, 100%. Um, our team in Krakow, you know, not so much because they execute a lot of the programs that we kind of come together with our clients on and conceive in the U.S., and so they're very much used to this collaborative handoff and ongoing training in all the multiple things that are constantly changing and evolving with technology. So they really feed off of each other in a live environment. Like, what did you just get for that answer? Like, can I hear it over here? And that that um, nature of curiosity was something that was really pulled through live with them. So all of a sudden, it's not the year of engagement at all. Um, we basically have to quickly pivot and figure out what we're doing to go from virtually training and, you know, helping people understand entry-level positions and systems and platforms um, in every part of the company, in every single region, while we're delivering the work. So, you know, it's not like anything really stopped. Uh, we didn't take this big pause and say, well, let's figure it out. We basically had to, you know, like everybody else, go in head first. And we had some cultural concerns as well in terms of the way that we had been, you know, handing things back and forth between the EU and the U.S. So there was a lot that we had to navigate. So turning on video was this whole thing that, you know, felt like an expose for people. They suddenly had backgrounds of their personal lives. They suddenly had, you know, a violation of that separation that they so love between work and, you know, their their personal lives. And it really just wasn't anything that we could avoid. You need to have your video on in order for us to properly engage and collaborate. So I think, obviously, this is not something that we were alone in. Everybody was very uncomfortable. You know, everybody's navigating this whole new world of work from home as the world's new normal. And we were no exception to that rule, even though, you know, on the face of it, yeah, we were ready and, yeah, we had infrastructure. It just wasn't as easy as I think some may have had it. Uh, we certainly didn't have it quite that simple. So what we found, and, you know, some of the successes I'll talk about come from things that were faux pas, but, you know, so, so what we found is embracing some of that stuff really helped us. Um, when we kind of shed this whole idea and notion that we could have, like, professional rules of engagement while we're working from home with pets on the keyboards in front of us and, like, children running around in the back, you know, like, yeah. weird things happening that just don't normally happen in the office environment, you're not supposed to pretend that's normal. And, you know, for, for a while we did. We tried to take it in stride. And then, you know, we started to just embrace the special guest stars and just, you know, make little jokes or just kind of nod to the fact that this is what's happening. You know, we, we're like the unvarnished truth here. This is what you get. Um, you know, I'm not just some title figurehead that has a bunch of, you know, accolades or whatnot. I'm a person. And, you know, now you can see it, whether I like it or not. I can't hide, you know, certain elements. I mean, that was kind of the case for everybody. So one, you know, one thing was kind of just adopting and embracing the fact that this is going to happen. And when we eliminated that formal, that professional office filter that we all thought we needed to have, you know, stop putting backgrounds up and just let it fly, I think that we really overcame a lot. And to that point, we've always been pretty on point and, you know, very much like, you know, we're a little bit nerdy on the media side. We like to get into the details <laughs> and the data. We're not the big creative, you know, here's the ad campaign. We're the people that tell you where to invest your money and why. So, but what we found is we began connecting with each other as, as teammates, you know, as um, client and consultant, but like really as people and just exchanging these small moments, tips and tricks on just little things we were doing in our day-to-day -day lives that were increasing you know, any risk of health threat or eliminating uh, risk of health threats. 
and basically like figuring out ways to keep ourselves safe and sane. And so it really became this humanizing situation where we could just talk about things and kind of dispense with all of the, like, you know, what might have been a little bit imposterous in the past. Um, so that was like kind of a big thing and, and took a while for us to get comfortable with. So we fundamentally pivoted from this business mindset first of like we're professionals and we're consultants. We're going to lead you to your launch to, all right, yeah, we're going to get this. Done. We're going to launch this thing even if no one can go to the doctor because it <laughs> needs to be out there. Um, so that was, you know, we never had talked like that before. But we sincerely meant it, and it really did help us. Um, but along with not planning to, like, return to the office in mass, this is really something we're aiming to keep. I know a lot of our clients are going back to the office, but we hope that this more humanized perspective and engagement model will remain. Um, but now just a couple of, like, quick learning things that, you know, might give you a chuckle or not. Um, so big things. Okay, we had people depart the industry. So we're in, you know, health and wellness advertising and a lot of digital focus, um, really big industry. A lot of my folks had been long-term with us. And this whole lockdown and pandemic stirred up, you know, a like what's my personal why and what am I doing here and why do yeah. I still have the same job? And, like, I don't have to look at Lauren every day if I don't want to. So I can I can move on and change, you know, my trajectory and I can change my path. And because of the work from home element and, you know, the idea that you don't need to commute to an office, at least in the foreseeable future and maybe permanently, a world of opportunities opened up. And so we had a lot of people make big pivots that were good for them. So we had to get into this place of how do you source new talent how do you figure out the right fit in a completely uncomfortable environment that you're defining every day? And how do you figure out if it's a right fit or not through like what your normal hiring and interviewing channels were? You know, are you even recruiting in the right places now? And do you have to redefine everything? And for us, like the, the, the answer was absolutely, you know, we just could not get by with people referring prior colleagues anymore. Um, and, and that's like largely how we had grown our team because we felt like people had a camaraderie, people knew each other. And so when they came in, it would be more natural and collaborative than not. Um, but we really had to start to stretch out of our comfort zone and figure out where to source new talent and even the interviewing process and who interviews whom in, you know, what cadence, all of this changed. So some of the hires we got right. And unfortunately, we did not get some right. And that's tough like, where you just hire somebody in a pandemic and then you have to turn around and let them go because it's not a right fit. Yeah. I felt very accountable for that. Yeah. Sure. No, absolutely. Well, and I think, I think what you've, what you highlighted is consistent across many industries and I, you know, can't wait to hear from Tony and Jay, you know, on the same similar vein, but uh, yeah, a lot of people waking up and saying, this isn't actually what I want to do and, and what is it that I want to do? You know, it was, it, crazy times. But thank you, Lauren. That was really, really helpful. Tony, um, what do you think? What What did you learn? What were some of the challenges you encountered? Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it was really fitting how Lauren talked about humanizing things and people turning their videos on and what that does to life. I don't know if you guys remember, it was there was a BBC newscaster years ago whose kids marched into the room and then they're trying to pull them back out of the room. And at the time to the entire world, it was like this hilarious viral thing. Like, how could this really happen? 
And, you know, that was 2017. If they did, you know, tried to show that now, that's all of us. That has happened yeah. to so many people. So okay. it's it's interesting how much that has changed. Um, but, yeah, I'll touch on, on what we saw both in our industry and at our company. So the restaurant industry was hit very hard, as we all know. So between the dates in 2020, March 11th was really a big day. I think that's the day when maybe it was announced Tom Hanks. Uh, had COVID as well as some NBA players, and it started to become very real for people. Um, right. And over the next 10 days, so March 11th to March 21st, restaurant sales dropped to 20% of normal, basically wow. from normal. So an 80% drop off in people buying food at restaurants. Just amazing how much of an impact that had in such a short time. And so I'll touch on our business and how we responded, and then I'll touch a little bit on the industry itself. So for our business, uh, we had visibility into that because we see the restaurant sales every day. And so we could see very quickly this ticking down and what that would likely do to them. And so we knew we were going to have to act fast to help our customers with things like waiving software fees and that kind of thing. But we were also going to have to act fast so that our business was going to be in a position of strength because – that was right. definitely going to take a financial toll on us. And yep. so uh, to, to understand that, you have to think pre, prior to 2020, we had been in rapid growth mode. We, we'd been doubling in size every year for five years in a row. And so we were overstaffed on purpose so you'd keep up and be prepared for that growth. Well, you know, when this hit, we knew we weren't going to have a banner year. And especially we felt like it would be insensitive to be soliciting restaurants a lot in this time. Instead, we needed to look at how we could support and help them. And so we had to make the really tough decision to reduce our staff. And so we did that, and we reduced down, not to bare bones, but to an appropriate amount for the current business size. And so that was a huge shift for us. And really, it was the worst day of my career. You know, letting about 200 people go over Zoom is just – Horrible, you know, and, and not, I'm, I'm not saying woe is me for it. I, I hated it, but horrible for them, you know, and I just felt so bad, uh, to, to bear that news, but it was the right decision for our business to preserve as many jobs as we could. So we, so one thing we did, we acted very quickly as we saw what was going to happen so that we could preserve as many jobs as possible. So the way I looked at it, I then got to work. You know, we had a lot of homework in front of us in terms of what we, how we were going to respond in that time. And so I really decided to do five things immediately. So my biggest thing is when change is coming, act fast, right? But, but what are you going to act on? So I, I chose five things. So the five I choose, number one, was that we knew, needed a new North Star that we were looking to as a business. And, and a way I like to think about that is, a shipwreck. We weren't a shipwreck, but if someone, if you fall overboard, let's not call it a shipwreck. Let's say you fell overboard. Okay. The ship's gone and you're there in the ocean. You can either choose to tread and you're going to stay afloat and you're waiting for another ship to come by and rescue you, or you can look towards some destination and start swimming there. Right. And so that was really the concept that I had for the team is, are we going to be treading and waiting for someone to come help? Or are we just going to swim and pick our own destination? And so we chose to pick our own new North Star, kind of threw the old annual goals we had out the window, completely redid them. And the concept I used on that was, what do we want to look like at the end of this thing? We don't know when the end is. It could be two weeks, which foolishly maybe we hoped it would be, or it could be 18 months. You, you don't know. But what 
are we going to look like at that time? And what do we need to do now to look like that? And that helped us to continually refresh. And then every month we would revisit those questions and answers and updates. So that was number one. Number two for me was customer is king. So we, we just started customer outreach. We upgraded the level of care. We waived fees. We gave them free services. Like we took a number of our employees who weren't as busy selling and then they just helped, helped customers actually enter data in the system and use it. So we, we jumped on that to protect the customers. Uh, number three for us was product pivots, right? So we had to do things like delivery, uh, think, things within our software that would help with delivery or help restaurants see what they could do to be profitable. And so we, we started to develop things in the product pertinent for our time. Number four was communication, especially with employees. You can't just leave it to the imagination in, in times of turbulence because they're so unsure, right? Everyone's just wondering and no one has all the answers. Your own bad stories at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't even have all the answers. You're kind of afraid yourself to say, okay, here's what I think, but people need to hear and, and they want to form the, the story. And so the key was communicate way more often. So we ramped that way up. And then the fifth one for me was learn from everyone. You know, it, it is definitely a time to be humble. It's a time to, you know, welcome any conversation. I think I attended 50 virtual webinars in a six-week span. I mean, I was wow. just soaking up anything possible because I thought some of these are going to have tidbits for me that we can apply. So those are really the five things. And the results of that for us, if you want to know the, the punchline of the story here, is our team did rally together. The customers stuck with us, and we all really succeeded together. And so surprisingly in 2020 – uh, we actually grew almost 25% as a business. Wow. So that's okay. not what we were expecting. Um, and it wasn't, granted, it wasn't who we were before, you know, in the rapid growth, but we were pleased. And, and it drove to a lot of other financial health in the company. Um, and we, we gave customers through that and the financial world confidence in us as a business. You know, if we can come through the toughest times, we can succeed in good times as well. And and so with that, it made more funds available to us. And we actually were able to acquire our largest competitor uh, here in 2021. It facilitated an opportunity to bring a couple companies together, which is uh, a good spot of strength for us. And then we've continued to accelerate growth. So that's that's how we dealt with experienced and then came out of the difficulties that we've had in the pandemic. Just to touch a little bit on the industry, uh, one of the saddest things is 90 to 100,000 restaurants in our estimate in America went out of business. That, right. that is a lot of restaurants. And, yeah. and like I said, their sales dropped all the way down to 20% of normal, and a lot of companies just can't sustain that for long. Well, they, you know, over time, they would tick back up and it went from 20% to 30 to 40. It would come up and then there'd be waves of this, you know, as some of the difficulties of COVID would go roll through the country again, uh, then, then it would go back down. There'd be more restrictions and then they'd come back up. The interesting part today is that of the restaurants that stayed in business on average, they are now selling more than they were in 2019. Wow. So they're actually doing better. And part of that is because there's less restaurants around. So the sure. industry as a whole is not making as many dollars as it was in 2019 because there are fewer stores. But of the stores that are open, they're actually making a bit more. Now, you could argue that there's now a labor shortage, which has bumped up 
you know, labor fees. And so maybe the profitability isn't any higher, but it sure has been great to see the industry resurge. And then one other unique thing was just how impressed I am with the restaurant tours. They had to get so creative and clever. How could they get more dollars out of those square feet? Could they get it out curbside? Could they build a patio? Could they do? And it was just amazing to see how resourceful they were. Some of them started mailing recipes home to people's homes with the ingredients. They just all kinds of clever ideas. Some of them were selling excess toilet paper that they had when that was really a thing. So anyways, yeah. it was it was just interesting to see that. And now that we're coming out of it, they're that much wiser with all the things they've done, you know, including adopting more technology. And and so I've I've really been pleased to see that. But boy, was it a long 18 months to learn all of those lessons. I'm I'm so excited to hear the positive side. I know there was also a negative side, but um, the positive side on, on the end, that that's great to hear. Um, Jay, your last but not least. So excited to hear kind of what you learned uh, throughout the 18, the last 18 months. Thank you, uh, uh, Erica and Lauren and Tony. Truly so interesting to hear what your journey has been. Um, I even learned a lot just sitting here being part of this of this group discussion uh, over the last 20 minutes. So thank you for that. So I've, I've got a couple of uh, perspectives that are, you know, accretive a, a and a little bit different. The first is that I saw the entire experience of the last 18 months as a, you know, terrific catalyst to shake people up um, and make them rethink everything and not necessarily just, their business, in my case, my business, but 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 everything, um, and question why you why are you doing the things the way you do them? And when the pandemic hit, I happened to be chairman uh, of the board of an organization called YPO in Manhattan, and I mentioned that only to say that I had some responsibility and accountability for our entire 150 person group of CEO. Wow. And and we leveraged uh, our connections with each other uh, to kind of do what we're doing here today, you know, have this kind of, you know, group powwow, but on a regular business basis of, you know, what are you, what are you doing to get out of this? How are you going to survive? Right. And, and we have, you know, 150 unique CEOs with more or less 150 unique businesses. And so I was kind of in the middle of all of that, watching, listening and, and also trying to reframe and reshape how YPO Manhattan accommodated everyone since no one could get together. So, so that, that led me both on behalf of my, my, my business, uh, as well as my, 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 myself personally to really have a lot of inbound thinking and information to, 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 to process and, and, uh, and, and to use. And so there were a few things I got out of it. You know, the first is, it became pretty clear after a number of months that location may not matter anymore. Okay. Not only work from home versus work from an office, but live in New York City or Chicago versus the suburbs of Tennessee doesn't, I'm not sure this matters the way it used to. And wow, what, what, what an opportunity, right? And so I think the things we've, the patterns we've seen uh, with the country and it's people relocating are phenomenally interesting. Um, and I, I, I argue may be sustainable, not temporary. And I think they're sustainable because one of the second uh, patterns that became very clear to me as someone in the technology business for many years is that 
a lot of technologies that were initially viewed as kind of neat, but I don't necessarily use them, became rapidly mainstream. The entire Web 2.0 or Internet 2.0, which is really viewed as cloud computing, went from being, you know, a, a benefit to critical overnight. So if you didn't have a cloud infrastructure before, now you absolutely needed to immediately. If you were doing certain things locally, like accounting or taxes or pick your thing, now you weren't doing them locally anymore, right? So, so this was a great catalyst for change. Um, I also think that um, the notion of commuting will never be the same. Um, people have learned that they can be at least somewhat productive working in a remote slash cloud-based environment. And that doesn't mean there's no value to getting together in person. There's tremendous value to it, but you don't need to do it every day, right? So that's a reflection on commuting, which could improve quality of life for millions, really billions of people potentially, as well as it's also a reflection on business travel. People used to travel for business just to shake someone's hand halfway around the world, right? Um, They don't do that anymore. Uh, how much of that will go back to the way it was? Uh, I don't think it will go back to 100% the way it was. I think people will rethink those kinds of commutes and, frank, frankly, the impact they even have on the environment. Uh, so, there, so there's an interesting pattern. And, you know, another element of this is that a lot of jobs that people have been relying on, like in the restaurant industry or in the auto industry or in myriads of industries that I know people who CEO businesses of, those jobs have been thinned out. Companies have figured out ways to do the same with less. Um, one example I've observed as a casual traveler and a from time to time business traveler is the hotel industry, right? Um, every hotel I stay at, no matter, no matter what its rating is, they don't clean the rooms anymore. They just kind of remove that. Okay. Um, right. it, it goes deeper than that. You know, I think they figured out, well, people don't seem to mind that much. So let's clean the room less. Not dissimilar when they took meals away on, on domestic flights. Right. So, so these kinds of adaptations and changes, they've come rapidly. Um, and, and they've affected many businesses, but at the same time, uh, we've been in an unprecedented period of money printing. Um, I think people underestimate how much that's bailed everyone out. Um, more people are spending more money because they're being given more money for free. And, you know, that's going to be an interesting thing to see how it plays out in the months and years ahead. You know, we may enter a period of significant inflation, which could be very harmful. Uh, we also may uh, enter a period where the company doesn't see the company, the country doesn't see growth in the same traditional way it used to. Uh, and then technology is going to continue to exponentially impact all of our lives. So things went from e-commerce in Internet 1.0 to cloud and Internet 2.0 in the next wave, uh, which is why I see so much opportunity in the crypto asset space. We're going to see a decentralization, I think, of many businesses and many business models. Uh, and, and we're going to see the ability for people to have better control over their information. So I think that many businesses will move to generating more and more revenue and sales in an online or even call it uh, virtual world type of capacity, which also supports 
remote you know, existences, whether it's uh, work from home or, or even kind of generate revenue in a digital ecosystem. So I think that the pandemic has been a catalyst for these opportunities um, and a lot of, uh, you know, capital is shifting into these types of technologies and businesses very rapidly. Uh, so, so, so those are some of the things that I've um, experienced and some of the challenges uh, that I've faced. But I actually see more excitement and more opportunity than I see challenge. Um, I also see a very interesting ecosystem that we're all living through now that has a lot more unknown to it. And uh, I think that the next three to nine months are going to be, you know, a very interesting period as we, you know, continue to get away from, you know, the traditional reaction to the pandemic and go into more of a steady state of enduring this type of lifestyle. So. Business leaders witness firsthand the profound change occurring in today's dynamic business environment. Your passion and vision serve to lead you through these challenges and help you seize the opportunities. Now you've reached a pivot point where you want to raise the bar and change the game. To you, we offer Quantum Shift, an exclusive program where you access the latest actionable perspectives from the world's leading business minds while engaging with trusted peers who share their experience, expertise, and insight to help you shift your business to the next level. For more information on the program or to apply for the next session, go to www.quantumshiftus.com. Maybe just a minute or two uh, from, from each of you. You know, we're all connected through our participation in our Quantum Shift program, uh, which is a five-day learning um, and peer-to-peer networking, which arguably, I mean, you tell me, but that seems to be um, just as important as, as the rest of the program. But between KPMG, Private Enterprise, and the University of Michigan, um, great program. I've been many, many times. I don't know if I was there the first time, but uh, anyways, maybe I will start with Tony. Um, and again, just just a brief minute on, you know, how you think that might have helped um, you kind of navigate the last 18 months. I think it's a fantastic program. You know, you get to learn alongside your peers. There's ample time to work in groups. You can also get to know people on a personal level. Uh, I think it was even fun. You get opportunities to check out the campus uh, at some of the athletic facilities. One thing I did not learn was how to kick a field goal. I tried, and it was very embarrassing, and someone took a video of me kicking the ball to nowhere. Uh, but but uh, aside from the fun of the learning modules that we went through, there were quite a few, and there was one that really impacted me and was actually helpful during the pandemic here for us, and that was the change management section. So that one really stuck with me. I, I enjoyed it, and it was so solid for me that when I came back to office, I, I actually paid to take all of my executives through the exact same change management program that we had done there. Wow. And it was really valuable for all of us. So it was, it was a, a great experience at the time. And this was a number of months before the pandemic. So it wasn't like we were doing it for that reason. But then when that came in and we did have so much change management to run through, as I had shared previously, um, it, it allowed us, I really believe that that training allowed us to be better prepared to roll those things out to the organization and hit the ground running. And so uh, yeah. that was something that I truly do attribute that I picked up from Quantum Shift and I used when the pandemic hit with my whole exec team and got a ton of value out of it that helped us put us in the spot we are today. 
Um, I think if I were just giving one future suggestion to the program, it's probably that you do a little bit of kicking training before people get out onto the field to kick that ball. I, I think <laughs> that would help avoid some embarrassment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Tony. Uh, Jay. Uh, so something that stands out, and as as Lauren and I mentioned, you know, we were participants in the program many years ago, and despite that, this, I think, is a big standout for me. Um, one, we, we did a whole working session one afternoon on evaluating employees in terms of their energy, uh, their optimism versus pessimism, and their general kind of personality matrix. Not good versus bad, but more like Myers-Briggs, strengths and weaknesses. And, and the particular uh, model that was taught to us and used was both, you know, uh, very interactive in the class that day uh, and also leveraged, you know, kind of colors and, 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 and diagrams. And that model is something that I have definitely leveraged time and time again since Quantum Shift, um, particularly during the pandemic, because as we've been discussing, you know, the changes we've all had to endure with our businesses and, you know, it really requires understanding your team well and what their strengths and weaknesses are and because they're going to be forced to be in situations that are different now. Um, and so that has been something that's been incredibly helpful for me. Uh, very, very valuable uh, way of thinking, I would say, uh, it, as it pertains to people, personalities, their gifts, their talents, their strengths, their weaknesses. And, and uh, it, it's been beneficial to me, uh, frankly, constantly since Quantum Shift. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jay. Lauren. Yeah, so I had two big takeaways that resonated, and there are things that have been really pulled through into the business on a day-to-day basis. And so the first one is this notion of the power of positive thinking. And um, not only did we go through positivity and, you know, kind of very in-depth case studies about how the power of positivity shapes outcomes, but in some of the fellows, you know, kind of encore um, years that I attended, we also did follow-ons. And it's just this continual notion that you really can predict your own future, you know, with mind over matter in a lot of ways. And it, it is scientifically proven and verified. So seeing the science in a business school environment really helped me to believe that it wasn't fluffy, kind of rah-rah stuff. It actually yeah. worked. So what I did to pull it through in the company was I actually pulled through what we call API or assuming positive intentions as one of our core values. And what this means is when you're working with somebody who feels like they're on another team, like we're working with clients a lot of times with multiple agency collaborators, sometimes the client might feel like um, that it's some kind of critique that's personal when really they're just asking clarifying questions and they're rushed to get to the next meeting. So, you know, there are all these ways in which you could start to pull in emotion into professional environments. But if we use API and assume positive intentions, what we're saying is we're all looking at the same thing and we are coming at it from different perspectives. But if we assume everybody wants it to work, that takes a lot of that out of it and it gets you to that higher order of positivity as opposed to this, you know, Pollyanna-like notion. Um, so that was one. And the other one is Innovation U, which is what Jay talked about. And I actually have even prospects that um, – are you know uh, thinking about coming and joining the company? Do the innovation U test to see what their colors are, to understand if they'll fit into the matrix uh, based on who else would be on their team and how they'll be collaborating. So I found it extremely useful, 
in helping people communicate with people who are similar but also very different. And again, like that idea of taking emotion or emotionally charged drama out of professional environments. Well, thank you, Lauren. So we are out of time. <laughs> I mean, this was great. I have enjoyed uh, spending more time with each of you. Um, and thank you so much for attending Quantum Shift. Um, thank you so much for sharing with our listeners um, really what you've been through for the last 18 months. And I think we've all been benefited from it. Um, just some closing thoughts. I mean, I think, you know, we touched on virtual work, right, and how that's going to continue, how I think a lot of businesses, including your own, have maybe become a little bit more fiscally responsible. And really that need for genuine human interaction and just and just that catalyst for change, right, Jay, that, that you talked about as well. And so anyways, thank you so much for your time today. I can't thank you enough. And I hope to see you at a Quantum Shift reunion uh, sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Privately Speaking with KPMG. And be sure to subscribe to this series to be notified of new episodes as they're released.